Hello, everyone, and welcome to Grip Lock Foundation Disc Golf's weekly podcast. I'm Hunter, joined as always by Trevor, and we got quite the show this week. I always say that, but I always mean it. Um, it's the season finale. It's all over. The season's over. Bummer. It's been a whirlwind of a season. Um, what there was of a season. And it's all come to a, a, a fitting close. Well, not really a fitting close. Mm. It's come to a, an exciting close. We'll sure, say it that yeah. way. Um, so this week, we're just going to jump into the Disc Golf Pro Tour finale, kind of talk about the format, the results, all of that stuff about it, um, some of what's coming up with the ESPN2 coverage. Obviously, Trevor's trivia. We're going to talk a little bit about free agency, because I think this is going to be a pretty big season, free agent-wise. We don't know if yeah. any you know deals and stuff are going down, but as far as the quality of the free agent market is bigger than we've seen in you know somewhat recent years and um we'll wrap it up with make that call so should be a pretty fun show let's start with the fpo side of the disc golf pro tour finale Mm -hmm. um so this is probably if you haven't seen the coverage which hopefully you have if you're watching this it's a little bit of a shocker to be honest with you i don't think you know it's not so much a shocker in who won but it's more of a shocker in who didn't win being page Right. Well, it is a little bit of a shocker in who won just because Haley, you know, even though she's very talented and capable of winning, she just hasn't quite been there this year. Like I was continuously waiting for her to break out and it just hadn't happened. Um, I mean, obviously, because I kept picking her, I figured she has the game for it. Um, so it was just a matter of time. And I guess it just finally happened. Yeah. The last and, possible time it could have. And the way it happened, too, was shocking in the fact that they went to a playoff. Uh, a Paige Pierce, Haley yeah. King face-off. Um, and on some some pretty tough holes. Yeah. Uh, the Pro Tour picked some, some of the better holes on that course, I think, for a playoff. They picked some par fours that you really had to hit your gaps. Um, that really required two really good shots to, to mm-hmm. if you wanted a birdie type of uh, type of holes. And so it went through a few holes. Um and ended up, you know, Haley just played the final hole phenomenally. Paige actually kicked off the fairway, but was able to scramble to where she had her par save, mm-hmm. uh, which was incredible because, you know, that put a lot of pressure on Haley King to hit like a 25-ish, somewhere in there, foot was, putt. Yeah, it was definitely nothing to, to just scoff it was, at. Yeah, it, it was a big putt. It was not a, a, a like easy little tap-in. She made it look like it, though. And she just canned it. Her yeah. putting was phenomenal. Um, She truly earned this win. You know, Paige Pierce, I think, respected that. You know, Paige wasn't like ever upset. She was seemed to be very happy for Haley. Yeah. Um, in that moment, they are teammates, and I think they both respect each other and are friends. You know, Haley looked up to Paige for probably most of her disc golf career coming up. Mm-hmm. Although, if you go back far enough this year, you can find that Haley King quote of, I don't want to be Paige Pierce, I want to be Haley King. You've done it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I do want to I think this does kind of beg a question. Well, let's first set the stage a little bit more because it wasn't a two-horse race. No, it really was a one horse race until whole. It was yeah, you know, Katrina Allen almost had this in the bag. Yeah, um, I don't want to say had this in the bag, but she had a two stroke lead going into seventeen, and she had a putt, I think, to keep a one stroke lead. Right, and then a putt to keep the tie, and then a putt to be down one, and then ended up being down two. I believe is how it all went down. She had a putt for bogey and ended up taking a quad. Yeah. It was um, a like thirty footer for, for yeah. She had like a thirty footer for bogey. The first putt, I don't think, was a like bad miss. Mm, well, in the sense that she missed a thirty footer, that's whatever. But the fact that she missed it low, completely airballed it, that's what hurt it a bit. Because if she had drawn, but I'm like, saying as far as like the distance, no, like missing like a thirty footer in that situation, is, it wasn't. Is a, it wasn't any like wow. No, yeah. Miss. The second miss even wasn't like a. It was, it was a little bit worse because that was like a 15-ish footer uphill elevated basket. She hit it low and it yeah. rolls right next to her. Yeah. To where now she moves over, hits the next one high, which I'll props to her on at least not missing low she again. She readjust, yeah. Hits a band. It rolls to her again. Same spot, pretty yeah. much. And then that one she cans. You hate to see it. Yeah, I mean, she... Or put inside the circle, pretty much. Yeah, she... It was her tournament up to that point. She was playing great. She was putting pretty good um, up until then, obviously. And then, you know, after that, they're, they're, the players aren't going to give you two strokes on hole 18. No. So, it came down to the Haley and Page battle. Ended up going into a, a playoff. Um, and, 
it was a very, very exciting finish. You know, I, I don't think on the FPO side you could have asked for much more. No, yeah, no. You had three out of the four players in it for pretty much the whole round. Mm-hmm. You know, you had a little bit of a comeback from Paige. She was down a little bit more at the beginning of the round, came back. You have the young gun and Haley King and Paige battling it out. They go into a playoff. It's about as good as you can ask for, especially considering it's going to be on ESPN2. Yeah, true. Yeah. Um, on the FPO side, I think that is probably the best case scenario, what, what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, on the MPO side, I think it's a little bit of a different story. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to say worst case scenario because at the end of the day, we did we still had you know our winner be one of our top probably top five players, you know somewhere up there, yeah, somewhere around there. So like you know, Kevin it Jones was, is certainly not a nobody, but and the, it was an exciting it was an exciting right, round, an the, exciting finish. The real bummer is that, and now <laughs> before I even say this, you know, props to the guys that did get themselves into the finals. They obviously earned it. Yeah. But when we have like the ESPN coverage and we're missing, you know, basically Paul, Ricky, and Eagle. Four. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a bummer. Well, so you know, Kevin was able to pull this one off. Um, I hate saying it this way, but Chris almost gave it to him. He choked as much as Kevin was able to pull it off. Yeah, Chris. Kevin played great. Yeah, Kevin did exactly what Kevin needed. He still had to do it. I mean, he still shot. I mean, they were both like nine down. Yeah, he still had to do his job. And Kevin, like, um, because on hole seventeen, you know, Chris had a a putt that would have wrapped it up. Basically, it was like twenty feet, and he airballed it. A um, very, very uncrisp. Uh, yeah, never have I seen a putt come out of his hand that shaky like that. It was super weird. But now Kevin on that hole ran a birdie putt, missed it, and it went pretty long and had to make a pretty far par putt to even put himself in the spot. So he had to make that putt. And then even when you know Chris messed up his drive really bad, he pulled over on it. I think he was trying to hyzer flip it. He just yanked it on 18. You know, Kevin still had to execute it you know execute a shot you know in his mind kevin was thinking well he still might be able to get par i'm gonna have to birdie this hole and he threw the shot yeah you know he had the putt he hadn't ended up laying up but he could have made birdie there yeah and i mean and chris's second shot out of the depths of the woods was a good attempt yeah it was one tree shy of possibly getting him to like circle's edge and having to put some pressure on on kevin right. but ended up not really you know i think between the putt on 17 if you ask chris I don't know which one he would think was the the moment. Was it the putt on 17 or the drive on 18? Because I think both for Chris were surprisingly bad mistakes. Yeah, the putt was shocking. Yeah, especially Chris has the name Robot Chicken for a reason. Right. You know, he's, he's not a robot. somebody who gets phased, and he looked very shaky. He yeah. Looked, <laughs> which is surprising, too, after he just won U.S., and, like, you've got to have nerves of steel to win the U.S. Yeah. So, you know, do you think... And I think this might be tr- more true on the MPO side for some reason than the FPO side because neither Haley King or Paige looked shaky. No, yeah. They looked like stone cold killers out there. Mm-hmm. But on the MPO side, like you just said, you know, we saw Chris make two very unchris like mistakes. Do you think that that was partially caused by the $20,000 on the line? Uh, yeah. I mean, or I guess 10000 on the line because he had secured second place. So there's a 10000 right. gap. <laughs> Big gap. Exactly. I mean, yeah, if I'm in if I'm in his shoes, you know, I I don't doubt that, you know, the reason like obviously the reason he missed that putt on 17 didn't have to do with the fact like it was all because of nerves for sure. Yeah. Cuz he just he threw the putt in a way he wouldn't normally do. It was like came out on hyzer, it was just weird. Yeah. It was a little wobbly. Well, that's the thing to me. It's like we we don't normally associate Chris with a nervous player. Right. Ever. But it looked shaky and I, I'm like, I definitely think it was, you know, attributed to, you know, wanting to win, probably mostly because of the money involved in that win. Uh, but it, it, it's just surprising to me because, you know, if you're going to win the USDGC and be stone cold about it, then, like, that's way more prestigious. Less money, though. Maybe, you know, maybe some, I'm sure for some players, I'm not saying Chris Dickerson's money hungry, but, like, you know. Well, I wouldn't <laughs> think any of the everybody. Players- any of the players that made it into the finale, well, maybe Austin Hannum. You know, I feel like Austin Hannum, not money hungry, but like the 20000 probably would have meant the most to Austin Well, Hannum. that's what I'm saying. Maybe it's tough to gauge where 
how players weigh money versus like just prestige of an event when they're like when you're calculating their nerves because yeah you could argue well the richer players will always value money less but that might not even be true yeah there might be i mean who was the player that said they would pay wasn't there a player who said they would pay for the win or something like that yuli yuli said i would pay this is when it was 15 grand he's like i would literally pay 15 grand to hold that title yeah like there are players who like certain titles like they could care less about money they but like others obviously the money factors into their nerves maybe at least more than that and it might not have to do with how much they've made just how much they prioritize it and there's nothing wrong with prioritizing prize money no no i just thought it was that's just where my mind went because i'm like we never we never see chris as a shaky putter yeah no that was weird there's never a moment where you've seen i literally gasped when i saw that i was like yeah i think everyone did yeah i've never seen that happen no one expected him to miss that putt no um, and, also, and then he I don't made think, he made the comebacker, which is longer. Yeah, and I don't think anyone <laughs> expected him to mess up the drive on eighteen. I think last year he birdied it yeah. all four rounds. I think he just got amped up and he just, just held on to it a little bit. Just yeah. just try to get after it too much, maybe. I don't know. It's yeah. not an easy hole, but the mistake he made was just like not one you can afford to make. No, and not one you would expect Chris to make. Right. Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing is that that shot seems like it's very much in Chris's like wheelhouse mm-hmm. of like right what he's going to be able to do flip distance shot yeah um the but yeah i think you touched on it a little bit earlier but do you think the espn2 coverage do you think it's going to affect the viewership or anything like that not having arguably three of the top four pros on that final day card which is the only card being covered yes the missing paul ricky eagle is that affecting the viewership yes i think especially paul um because Paul seems to be like the first guy that new disc golfers gravitate towards. Um, now, if all those people, if all those athletes, which I think they will, um, if all of them still push the coverage, like on their social media and whatnot, that'll help. Um, and obviously, like it's not going to change the fact that I still want to see what ESPN does with it. I'm going to watch yeah. it. But personally, I'm I'm a little less excited for it. You know, I like seeing the like my favorite players on that coverage. You know, what I'm interested. So like. I don't think it's obviously not going to affect the scrolling viewers, like the people who just stumble upon disc golf. That's true. Um, yeah, it so is definitely the, part of the disc golf audience. And then you know, I, it, I guess it is just the disc golf audience. It's the ones who are on the fence of like watching it, whoever they right. are. Right. Because for me, it's not affecting it because I, I don't care are, who was on it. Yeah. I'm going to watch it because the disc golf on ESPN two, and people, we want to get our best foot forward. It's people that would watch it. It's people that have already seen the coverage and they would only watch it again if they were watching their favorite players, probably. So it's, it probably is a pretty small margin. Yeah, I, it's all when around. I first wrote the question, I was like, yeah, of course it will. But then the more I thought about it, I'm like, is it really going to? Because Not a ton. The people who really cared about the coverage and wanted to watch it either already watched it live or watched Jomez. So regardless of who's in it, the Macbeth bump, the Ricky bump, the Eagle bump already happened. If that was going to happen, yeah. you know, if they were in there. And you still had Calvin Heimberg, Chris Dickerson, and Kevin Jones, which are, if you're a fan of disc golf, you're most likely a fan in some capacity of those players. There, right. you know, there's no, I mean, I, I haven't really met someone who didn't like those guys. Yeah, um, true. So obviously, you don't have the bump of the, you know, three of the top four in that final card. But regardless, you're you were asking someone to basically rewatch the coverage regardless because they released it already. It's not like DDO where they held the coverage. If it was DDO type of a situation where they held the coverage for a month and then in addition to that, you're missing Eagle, Ricky, Paul, that I think that would really affect it. Yeah. But in this scenario where you release the coverage, disc golf fans have already seen the coverage, so you are already asking disc golf fans to rewatch. I don't think that's going to really affect it because I think the... Fans that are making the decision to rewatch anyways, they aren't going to re not rewatch just because, you know, so and so isn't there. Yeah, you're already like I feel like the the group of fans that was going to rewatch anyways are going to rewatch anyways. Yeah, that makes sense. I could be wrong there. Um, as far as the ESPN two coverage goes, though, um, I have seen public posts from reputable sources being like Ulti World and Pro Tour and stuff like that that it's going to be around like the 20th to 25th window on ESPN2 of November, correct. Um, And then I saw a random post that said the the time slot was the 24th, November 24th at 8 p.m. Eastern. I could not find that publicized anywhere. So I don't know where this, it was someone on Facebook posted it and said, so we know this, like it was just a well-known fact. 
Um, hmm. So where he got that from, I don't know, because I, I Googled on Ulti World. I searched on the Pro Tour social media. I went to their website, and that date wasn't publicized. So I don't know if this guy yeah. had super insider information and published it on Facebook, or if he just thought he'd heard it. But the one good thing, if that is the date, if it is the 24th at 8 p.m. Eastern, it's a good time slot as far as the time goes. Sure, yeah, prime time. And there shouldn't be much sports happening. Because college basketball, the NCAA has set the college basketball season start to be the 25th. What day of the week is this? A Saturday? I actually don't know. What is it? The 20th? Pull it up. November 24th. No, I don't it should be, it should be like a Wednesday. Week. Yeah, it should be early in the week. I actually don't know if the 25th is Thanksgiving, but for some reason I feel like it is. It's 26th. So it's, so it's a it's Tuesday. A Tuesday. Good. I was making sure that we're going to be competing with college football. So Tuesday at 8 p.m. So there shouldn't really be much going on. No, that should be a good slot. Um, Because, I mean, the, the biggest competition for what's on ESPN2 is what's going to be on ESPN during that time, I feel like. Well, yeah, but an ESPN two always also gets college football games. Like if it was on a Saturday. Well, yeah, I'm just saying. Like, yeah, on like a Tuesday there was night, a I don't know what Duke versus Michigan State on ESPN. Right, right. Like, I don't know what would be on. I might not even watch disc golf if Duke versus Michigan State was on ESPN. <laughs> I mean, yeah, when you're scrolling through the ESPNs, you kind of look at like, okay, what's on ESPN? If it's and just like then, Sports Center, yeah, I think we have a good. That's gonna be our best bet. 8 p.m. Something like that. I doubt it'll be Sports Center, but I don't know. I have no idea. I don't know. I, I haven't watched ESPN recently enough to know what's on around 8 p.m. Yeah, not really have I. But regardless, I, I feel like sports-wise... Should be okay. It should be pretty much died down, because what, what is going to be going on at that point? Baseball's over. Football will still be going on, but not on it's not... Tuesday. Yeah, it's not around that mm. day. No, I don't think they play college football on Tuesdays. Um, Basketball wouldn't have started yet. The NBA season, I don't think, starts till January. That's and that's anticipated. That's not even yeah. confirmed yet. So, like, oh, you know, I'm trying to think. I feel like the why do I feel like the NBA draft is like right around there? Could you imagine? It was <laughs> the same night. <laughs> I, they wouldn't do it on Tuesday. Mm, I've seen crazier things. Yeah, we're know. gonna do a quick Google search live. Check that November eighteenth. Okay. Okay. So six days before. Well, yeah. Thank goodness that would have been bad. Yeah. So yeah, I mean. I don't know what would be around that. If it is November 24th. Because True. So let's hope that, it's not the 18th. The only official media I have seen was estimating like a 20th to 21st range. Should be good. And then, I mean, regardless, anywhere in that range I think is okay. Yeah. I mean, ESPN, like if they want accurate testing to s- test the disc golf viewership, then they're not going to put it next to something they know is going to obviously steal the views. Now, another interesting fact that I saw them. on Ulti World is that... So, if you go back to the DDO coverage being on CBS Sports, apparently that was paid for by Dynamic Discs. Like, they yeah, paid, I didn't know that. They paid CBS Sports to be on there. Um, whereas the ESPN2 coverage, the Pro Tour is not paying ESPN2 to be on there. They're paying for the production, you know, via Jomez and I think they said Bluefoot Media, which I don't know what that is. Um, no idea. But apparently they're paying them, but they're not paying ESPN2 directly to be put on there. So, that, to me, that shows a little bit more interest. Because CBS Sports might have just been like, oh, you're going to pay us and give us coverage of a sport yeah. to fill up some time? That, yeah, that doesn't do, That doesn't cause CBS a thing. They're, they're like, whatever, free stuff to put on. Yeah. Whereas ESPN2, you know, in theory, it doesn't really cost them a thing either. It's also it a bigger network, ESPN2. Yeah, it's on a lot more mainstream. There are time slots. Like, there are, I know for a fact, there's like, colleges that like would love to have their sports like bigger colleges would love to have their sports on espn too so the fact that disc golf can get on there it's pretty good yeah i'm i'm excited to kind of just see what the production looks like um just mean seeing it's the same thing like we were excited about seeing disc golf on cbs sports because of like the cbs sports graphics package the you know that's what i get most interested to see like what what extra flair do they add to it with their own graphics and things like that and i would assume i probably should look this up but i would assume it's going to be Big German Nate Sexton again. That if Jomez is running it, then Jomez is running it for sure. So that, that would seem to be our best foot forward. You know, they've been doing a lot of um, big German Yuli commentary, but uh, to my opinion, Nate Sexton is the best commentator on the mic. So yeah. I feel like if we're trying to put our best foot forward, that's the way to do it. And he, yeah. him, and Germ have that chemistry too. Right. I think that's a big part of commentary that sometimes can be missed is making sure you have that really good chemistry mm-hmm. between the two commentators. Big German Yuli have it as well. Um, but I, I feel like that's why back to USDGC, the Philo and Ian Anderson commentary with Nate Sexton kind of jumping in there. I really enjoyed. It wasn't bad. No, it was I thought good. it was great. 
I think the chemistry is what keeps me from liking the Pro Tour commentary. I think Jamie and Nate Doss just don't seem to like. Well, but you got to think like when when uh, Sexton and Big Jerem first started, I don't think they had it either. I think it was, but but they had it a little bit, a little bit because they were already like touring together, playing together. They both were from North Carolina. They yeah. both had ultimate backgrounds. But like, a lot more. Time I feel like together. commentating to like as a team, like you just build that over time. Like you do. now, I mean, I'm not, I'm not here trying to say that Jamie Thomas, Nate Doss team is anything special because it, it, it could be replaced <laughs> for all I care. But there, I mean, I think they'll get better. They've been getting better. Yeah. Um, I'll be very curious to see like if. Pro Tour sticks with them. I will be too. I think they will. I don't know. I don't know what'll happen. Um, because I, I have not seen too many people who love them. You know what yeah. I mean? Like comments and stuff. Wise, I like. I mean, I like Terry on that team a lot. Terry, to me, Terry. He's like Terry's great. The best. Um, I don't think that Terry should be the sideline reporter. I feel like that's a misuse of Terry's skills. No, yeah, I don't think so. Honestly, I think is, Terry could do. I think Terry should do play by play. Yeah, Terry should be the play-by-play. And then try it out with. I mean, when it when it was Nate Doss and Terry that like one or two weeks when Jamie. Was I'd home. rather see Doss do color than play-by-play. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's what I believe. That's what they did. I'm was not sure because because right now Doss is doing play-by-play and Jamie's doing color. Isn't that kind of how it works? They kind of both do both. Right, which is not. They just mix it all in. You need like your that's Al Michaels Ian, and your Chris Collinsworth. You know, Ian and Philo were very good at staying. Right, as there's they, they stayed in their role. Yeah, to where Ian, instead of giving his opinion on shots and stuff like that, was asking Philo right. his opinion. Because Terry like is good at it. He's eloquent with it and well spoken. But he doesn't play professional disc golf, you know, at the level that Nate Doss has, for example. So like yeah. that's why, honestly, the dream combination would be Terry and Nate Sexton. I think that'd be the best we could probably offer. Because yeah, I think Nate Nate's played obviously at the highest level, won at the highest level, and I think he's the most well spoken pro commentator. So yeah, I think Terry and Nate Sexton. Yeah, I think Terry as the like main commentator for live at least. Yeah, is a great option. Once like Germ and Sexton retire from disc golf, I think they have a career in commentary. Probably Sexton basically had a career in commentary. Well, they've already built their names in it now. So yeah. yeah. But I would like to see if we're going to use Terry as a sideline reporter next year. I'd like to see him used differently. Uh, You know, I think when we go to the sideline reporter. It should a kind of be an ongoing conversation with the two commentators in the booth. So it should be bouncing back and forth a little bit more, where they can hear each other. They're talking to each other. They started to do that a little bit later in the season, where yeah. Terry would be like, "All right, now back to you guys." But I'd like to even be a little bit farther, of like you ask Terry a question, Terry answers like, "Yeah, you know, I just range found this. It looks like Eagle's about 450 feet out, but." He's grabbing that MD3 he's been throwing all day, which is an interesting choice because of the headwind we're feeling. You know what I mean? Like stuff that you can't see from the booth. Yeah, people really like uh, like the disc call-outs. I think disc choice call-outs, use a rangefinder and yeah. see where we're standing. That's one thing. That is one thing that's like in ball golf, it's a lot easier to do. Well, it isn't. It isn't. I mean, like, because obviously they're only going to have like pitching wedge through four iron or whatever. But that yeah. being said, it is very difficult to tell seven from an eight iron unless you see the number. So I'm not really sure how they do that. If that's a camera that's picking that up, what club they pick is they typically it's probably like a, a guy on the ground that's not a, doesn't have a mic yeah. and just like maybe yeah. tiger seven iron. But because they they typically put that up there, and that's like in disc golf, that's almost even more fascinating. Now it's a little in bit disc golf, misleading. More options. It's a little misleading in disc golf because you could just say buzz, and it could either fly really stable or it could flip over and roll. Like, but that's the type of stuff that Terry. If if it'd be cool to know whoever the sideline reporter is in the future, if they were on, if that was what like the what they did regularly, you would know. Okay, well, Paul pulled out the Jawbreaker Wasp with this stamp. That's his flippy one. Or Eagle. Eagle just pulled out a brand new, yeah. you know, this is the first time I've ever seen this in his bag. It looks really beat up. You have to follow him pretty close to, to get that much info. But, I mean, I at least like to know what they're throwing. Yeah. I mean, but regardless, I think that a little bit more detail. Because right now, I feel like we go to Terry or we go to whoever the sideline reporter is and we're hearing about what Big Germ said to Sexton as a joke or what yeah. so-and-so said to their caddy. Sometimes that's good information, but sometimes I don't really care what Germ's going to go eat afterwards. Like, <laughs> yeah. I why did we cut for oh, that man you know what yeah. i mean i would rather it like if you're gonna cut i want him like whispering into the mic because he's right behind the players and he's talking yeah. about like whatever shot they're throwing like he's he, they did it once or twice at hornet's nest they did yeah. they, they did let 
Terry commentate live on the well, course what yeah. was going on. And sometimes it's nice to bring a guy like that in and keep them their mic hot even after the throw so that if the cameras aren't quite picking up what's happening, you know, they can say like, oh, this is tracking really well. Mm-hmm. Like this is looking perfect. You know, that's something they do a lot in ball golf too. That's like cool. Yeah, I just feel like that little stuff like that can make big changes. But first off, I do think Terry needs to be in the booth. Yeah. And, you know, I, now whether that we try Jamie as a sideline reporter or I don't know if they want to keep Jamie in the picture. I don't really know. Um, but I think, I think something's got to be mixed up. Just, I think that could be a, a big improvement to the viewing experience. Either that, or Nate Dawson, Jamie need to go hang out a lot. Yeah, and get well, built some, we'll see. Like, built some uh, disc golf in general. Like, is not the type of people that yank people out of spots. You know, they kind of coddle whoever is like their guys, and they just kind of stick with them. They don't want to hurt any feelings. So we'll see if Jeff Springs is the type of dude who's like, no. If I think there's better out there, I'll. I'll move people around, you know? That's true, yeah. Or if he's like, no, we'll just stick... You know, if we have the same commentary duo five years in the future, you know, that probably answers that question. <laughs> or if he just, like, this year is like, no, you're you're gone. Especially if he takes, like, one out and leaves the other, then you really know he's serious about it. Yeah, that's true. It will be interesting. Um, and we probably won't know until the cameras roll in yeah. whatever the first tournament is. Texas, what is it, the first tournament? Las Vegas Challenge. For the Pro Tour? Yeah. No. Yeah. 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 Yeah, <laughs> I don't know why they it's said hard they, to they tweeted something about it. Yeah, like 120 something days. So we'll until... we'll know in 120 something days what uh what exactly happens there. But yeah, I'm hoping that it is a a big germ, a big sexy commentary there. Yeah. Um. So one of the final things I want to talk about with the Pro Tour finale is the format itself. As a fan, I absolutely loved it. But do you think that the format played into why we didn't see three of the top four pros yeah. in the finale. Yeah, it's it's not fair to the top pros. Um, now, there is a way you could do it. So if you aren't familiar with the format, the way it worked was players, the top players had buys to further rounds. So guys, if you were a, a, lo- a lower seed um, or worse seed, you were, um, you know, had to play more rounds. So if you did make it far, you had maybe two rounds under your belt before you're playing the top dogs yeah. who are just walking onto this course. You know, they have may have had a practice round or two under their belt, but like they're not, it's warm. been days, right? They're that. not warm. So like if you're a guy like Eric Oakley, who made a little bit of a run, like, you know, you're feeling very confident where somebody who might be better than you just walked onto the course, you know, they don't really know what to expect. So it was unfair in that way. Um, I think, the format was still entertaining. Now, one way they could do it is they could do it like the FedEx Cup does it in the PGA Tour, where instead of doing it like that, the advantage they give to the better seated players is you give them a stroke head start based on where they're seated. And then everybody else just has to catch up over multiple rounds. That's one way to do it. Uh, now, well, on the men's side, that could that could stay interesting depending on how they do it. I was going to say, that there were days where like if you give a guy a good enough head start like Paul... See you later. He's gone. Yeah. But they could, it could happen. But another way you could do it and keep the format is to change courses. Is to every single... You'd have to do it in the right area, but you'd have to change a course every time. So you're saying like four different courses to where right, so that everyone's the, stepping onto the course for the first, first time. time. Yeah. Because I love well, the format. No, because that would give the players that are later in the rounds an advantage because unless you close the courses... They could practice well, while the other players are playing. So like, yeah. okay, well, I know I'm starting on Hornet's Nest on day three, so I'm well, going to go play Hornet's Nest days one It's better two. if those guys get a slight advantage than the guys who are... Well, the, what they earn those seats. Yeah, I guess I guess you can look at it one of two ways. So my defense for this format, because first off, I think the this format, format is fun. extremely interesting and engaging for the viewer. Yeah, because you're staring at the cut line the whole time. Exactly. There's that cut line, you know, you're wondering, like, like when Paul's on the cut line... That's exhilarating. You yeah. I mean, when anyone's on the cut line, it's exhilarating because now there's like two battles. There's the battle for the top, yeah. which doesn't really matter until the final. Yeah, day. and that's the and thing. There's the battle for the cut line. My thing is, so if the guy in first runs away with it, it doesn't matter because everybody's playing first place is essentially fourth because it doesn't matter it resets, where yeah. you finish. So like it always be, is close around that cut line because four guys aren't going to run away with it. Yeah. Maybe one or two do, but then that cut line is always going to be close. So that's what made it really and interesting. And that's exhilarating to me. Yeah, I love I, that. I love that. And so I think the argument to keep the format is the advantage that the players who had the buys is that they are the best players in the world. So you should no, ex- that's, you that's should expect not good enough. how 
you should expect Paul Ricky no. Eagle to be able to come out cold and no. compete. That's not fair to them. They earned that seed. They should get more than just like they they shouldn't be at a disadvantage. I feel like that evens the field out. I think that's why we saw parity. It's because you gave the players who didn't. Uh, yes, as far as earning the seed, sure. And I get. I guess since this like is they the play way an they entire the they play an entire season to get that spot. They should have. They should not be under any disadvantages. I or guess else, that's valid because then because then they'd want to play as, as a lower as, seed. Well, as far as if this was just a straight up tournament and it didn't affect their bonuses, like if they got a bonus for being that first whatever place, and this was like the just finale tournament, yeah, then I think putting them one, at a disadvantage that would be one sense. thing. But this is like I guess since this is the like way you get your bonus, yeah, then that is a little bit bigger deal. I but, think, but what I'm just saying is like it did kind of even out the playing field to where you have Eric Oakley was like. Two, he beat Paul by two strokes and was like two strokes away from qualifying or one stroke yeah. maybe away from getting to the final day because he had that time to warm up the first few days. Yeah. Well, my thing too is if you, let's say, okay, so maybe four cars, courses are tough to find. Okay, so let's just do three, take off a round, and let's have more than four people in the finals. Well, no, you could do three, and instead of taking off a round, you don't have to play a new one for the finale because everyone played again to the That's finale. That's true. Yeah, okay, so do that then. So do three. Yeah, that's or, not that hard. I think that the biggest... The do biggest downside to this, the biggest downside of this format is simply that the course is closed to where you can't practice. Well, yeah. So, like, you know, if you're Paul, Ricky, Eagle, even I think Kevin, you know, anyone with any type of buy, as soon as the tournament starts, your practice is done. You can go play a, a similar course locally, or at least just play with. You know, you can you yeah. can get warm, but you're not playing those lines. You're not. Yeah, you're not learning things about certain shots. Yeah. So you really only had like two or three days mm-hmm. to learn the course. That is the the number one, I think, on, the only disadvantage to this format. Now, I will say, if like if like the finale were to always be a Hornets Nest every single year, that would also kind of slowly take away that advantage because like guys would Players know would the know shots, it. yeah, it's to where they could stay warm in another course and then they just know the shots. But it's still a little bit there, but it'd be a little bit less. But I don't think that's going to happen to where it's always at a Hornets Nest every year. So. I mean, it's been there for two years in a row. You know, things change though. I don't. I, I do think it fits well because USDGC is right next door. That's true. Where you're driving thirty minutes up, it's not a big ask. Before, you know, you were going USDGC. The season was felt like it was over. Then you're going to Hall of Fame Classic. Then you're going all the way down to Orlando, mm. in the for the Pro Tour finale. And it was like, geez, like yeah, that's true. This just feels like it's over. Now it's just you're asking them to go from USDGC. They can stay in the same place they just stayed for the week. And just drive 30 minutes up. It's valid. Play that. I don't know. I love the format as a viewer, so I hope they can find a way to keep it. They might just say, you know, screw it. We're keeping it exactly the way it is. You know, because I don't... They might. I don't even know if this is like a concern or complaint that's being like loudly heard across the disc golf community. It's just that there, yeah. to me, there's clearly something going on when, you know, you, you don't have the best players in the world in the finale. Right. You have some of the current hot ones like Calvin and Chris, but you you probably would have expected it to be like Calvin, Chris, Paul, Ricky, or Calvin, Chris, Paul, Eagle, or Paul, you know, Eagle, Ricky. You, you would have expected at least two of those guys in there mm-hmm. somehow. Yeah. And to not have them there might not affect anything, but it could. It could have. With that being said, I, why do I feel like the, like Austin Hannum being in that, final four is what really like sets the whole thing off because when i think about it like kevin jones calvin heinberg and chris dickerson are like guys that like i have no problem being there well, i have no problem with also hannah being there i don't have a problem with it he i'm just him. saying that's the one he that kind of like tips it into like because like you throw one more player in there who's even borderline yeah, if you threw eagle like, or yeah then like you were like oh it was fine it's just like it seems like him being in there instead of like he's such like he almost took the spot of like the paul eagle or ricky like the top three guy that we expected to be in there yeah I yeah, but I mean, I it's don't have a problem with it because well, no, I mean, he earned it. Yeah, he, he still did played it. well. Yeah, he's you know he he beat all those guys when he needed to beat them. He yeah. showed up. He played under pressure, and not only that, he beat Calvin Heinberg the final day. Calvin freaking shot ten or eleven down, whatever it was, the day before, and then Austin Hannum went out and beat him. Surprising, you know, he did it, and so he deserved to be there. He played pretty good on the final day you know i wish it would have been closer among all four but it was kind of like a cal or a chris and kevin battle and then a calvin and austin hannum battle when it came down to the end yeah so 
I think the MPO coverage that's going to be on ESPN2 round-wise, just play-wise in general, is not the best foot forward disc golf could have presented. But even if you have a Ricky or Eagle or a Paul in there, you're not promised a great round. Right. You know, But I think it's going to be the FPO is really going to shine because I don't care who you are, if you're a fan of FPO or not, that was an exciting round. Yeah, it was. And Haley King was just phenomenal so mm-hmm. i think that is you know i think that kind of overrides anything else yeah um so you know i mean that's the wrap-up for the season um it was a very interesting season i think the only other question left to ask is who do you have as the mpo and fpo players of the year this year uh page is definitely the fpo yeah player i think that one's year. easy that one's easy i almost didn't even ask it because i knew we were yeah. both gonna say page mpo is tough that is really tough. If because if Chris would have won this, he could you could have like made an argument for him probably, just just on the fact that he won like the two yeah. biggest events of the year. But now you really can't, I don't think. So it really comes down to what Eagle, Paul, and Calvin. I think so. I it's so close that I feel like I'd have to look at the statistics to like really make it just gut feel. <laughs> I looked at statistics and it's as close as you probably feel in your gut. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's two front runners, personally. I think the front runners are Paul and Calvin. I was going to go Eagle and Calvin. Eagle and Calvin? I don't know. Eagle's, I think I give it Eagle's to- a little bit interesting because he he had the two Pro Tour wins, Yeah, you know, later in the season, and he was kind of getting hot, but he didn't have... He wasn't, like, fighting in contention as much as Paul and Calvin, I feel like. Yeah. So it, that's where Eagle's is like a... Ooh. I'd probably give it to Calvin. I picked Calvin. Yeah. I think that when it all comes down to it, Calvin's year overall is just slightly better. I think it was more so he was he put himself in positions to win or did win on multiple occasions. Seemed to always be hanging around. Yeah. Calvin was just it was it was Calvin's year. That could just be a gut feeling. You know, like I said, I didn't look at I looked at statistics. I didn't want to stare at them because I wanted this to be our opinion more than well the statistics clearly say. So we could be way off and it could be eagle. I think it's so close that like it could be any of those three guys. But yeah, they all three had phenomenal years when it was all said and done. Um, but I think that if Paul would have won Jonesboro and USDGC, um, I think it'd be his. Yeah, easily. If he'd have just won USDGC, I think. You think just USDGC? Yeah. And he should have won Ottawild. Yeah, I think the biggest thing with Paul is he came in, what was it, fifth at USDGC? I think that was a big yeah. one um, because Calvin was in, was right up there. He came in second. Yeah. Um, now, PDGA, I don't know exactly all the factors that go into it because it can't just be points because then if someone plays more events than the other, that I'm negates sure that. I'm pretty opinionated. Yeah, it's got to be opinionated. Which is how a lot of MVP... I mean, well, MVP stuff is like there's voting panel, panels for a lot of sports. I don't know. It's weird. Yeah, so I, I do think when it's all said and done, I think it's going to be Calvin. Um, which is, it's well-deserved. I mean, Calvin had himself a one heck of a year. We're going to jump over to a little Trevor's trivia. Um, I don't know what Trevor has for me. He was looking at, he was looking deep into the PDGA approval, like disc approval list, which scares me. We've got a really interesting, this is going to be like a little disc history, uh, a little disc craft, I should say history. Disc craft history. Um, because I was looking through reddit and i found a link to the list and this is from like 2018 but it's you know nothing that i took from there is like not gonna be relevant now um and it's like the list of pdga approved discs and like i saw stuff on there i'd never seen before it's fascinating see what sucks is i would honestly history wise i would probably know more about innova than i would discraft yeah because I'm, rel- I'm a relatively new discraft thrower i don't doubt it I'm probably so, in the same boat. All this, right. This should be interesting. Remember, if you're listening or you're watching, make sure you play along either by commenting down below uh, your answers and then how many you got right, or you can tweet at us at Foundation DG or message us over on Instagram, Foundation Disc Golf. Um, all those are, are good ways to play. Uh, play along and see if you can beat me. You probably have beaten me most weeks, but we'll see what we got here. How many questions you got? Three questions. Three questions. That's the new norm. All right. So... Question number one, which of the following names were never assigned to a Discraft mold? Okay, okay. okay. The Phantom, the Marauder, the Cruiser, and the Asteroid. There's four names there. Three of those 
where at one point, and all of the ones that they're not, none of these are in production anymore. Obviously, you would know that. The Phantom, the Marauder, the Cruiser, and the Asteroid. I feel like the Asteroid wasn't. Is that your guess? It's yeah. either, I feel like it's either the Asteroid. Behind that? Like, um, because you obviously made one up, and I feel like the Asteroid fits into their lineup the most with like Comet, Meteor, so I feel like that's the one you would have made up. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I was I was debating doing that. I wasn't sure if that's I... That's the only reason. I'd never heard yeah, of any of them. I wasn't sure if I would trick you with that or if I should try and pick something like super outlandish. But I wanted to give you a shot to guess it. I figured that would be your best shot. But I yeah. figured I could trick some people with that. Yeah, the Phantom, the Marauder, and the Cruiser. The Phantom I had heard of. Marauder never did. Cruiser never did. Yeah, there's some there's some discs on there that are even... And the Phantom, there was a Phantom, a Phantom Plus, and then like another Phantom. They, like did, three. Fa- they did Plus molds? Discrafted? I think it was called the Phantom Plus. Wow. There was like three variations of it, and they're Interesting. old. Interesting. I wonder what was the difference with like a Plus mold. They're, these things are ancient. Because I know like Innova always did Plus molds, Like back right? in the 80s. Yeah, they, they had did. like Rock, Rock plus, plus stuff like that. Yeah, the Innova, I think that it was like the Keyboard inside, plus, um, the inside edge of the rim on the plus molds would be slanted, mm-hmm. on like the actual They're part your fingers were comfortable. Hmm? They're meant to be like straighter and more comfortable. I yeah, think. I think it affected the flight a little bit in the feel. It affected a lot. Yeah, but I don't know if that's. I, I never knew that they did plus molds. Interesting. Yeah. What is this is question number two? What is the oldest discraft disc still in production? oldest disc still in production i feel like it's a putter it's not gonna be the challenger because that'd be too easy i'm gonna go apex and i I might be wrong on this but i'm pretty sure these are i'm gonna go apex that's incorrect there's actually two it's a tie and i believe both these are still in production the hawk and the cyclone Mmm. Dang, they are both in production. Yeah. They only make them in D-Line, which yeah. should have been my dead giveaway. So they were yeah. uh, July 14th, 1996. And you were just talking about a Cyclone before we started. So yeah. how did I not guess that? The Magnet, I think, was like 95. I wonder when the Apex came out. That just seems, sure. like a, it just seems like an old yeah. disc. But yeah, 93. The, the I believe the Nate Doss had a Hawk in his bag. He did. Like always. Mm-hmm. That was like one of his trustees, yeah. Old trusty. Never let me down. this one is tough this one so for those of you who don't know the ace race is something discraft has done since 2003 they introduce a prototype disc and they you know you can register to have an ace race tournament and like you give away those discs and i think are those the only discs you throw for the event is that how that works or i've never played one i'm not sure how it is but like in any case they do like one of these discs every year they didn't it got canceled this year and then 2019 which i'm not including in this list they instead of making a prototype disc, they brought back old discs like the Wildcat. Oh, because like was the forty-year anniversary. Right? Yeah, they brought back the Wildcat, the Eclipse, uh, some other stuff, I think, and they put them in premium plastics. So uh, there's sixteen from '03 to 2018 uh, Ace Race discs. How many can you name out of the sixteen, and how many of them are still in production? Just give me a number for that, so that you just have to guess. The it number out. still in production out of the sixteen? Yeah, I'm gonna say ten correct boom <laughs> how no clue i just went with what came to my mind um now how many can i name the roach yeah the mantis yep heat mm-hmm. um you just got 20 13 14 and 15 boom uh other than that i mean i'm can you give me like some like molt like fairway mids drivers? Well, what uh, am I missing here? So there's a lot. Well, I know you're missing. Just give me what you're majority? missing. Two discs that are in your bag. Two discs in my vulture. Two discs in my bag. There you go. That'll drive you nuts. <laughs> Soul. Yeah, that was 2018. Yeah. Okay, I should have guessed there's that. One, one more that's in your bag. Pretty big part of your bag, I would say big part the focus yeah that was an ace 2009 yeah wow the soul is 2018 yeah i've i, I don't know anymore so the, the three is all oh three was the breeze doesn't exist oh four was the glide still exists oh wow oh five was the slipstream the heck is that? i have no idea oh <laughs> six was the meteor oh wow was yeah oh seven was the impact oh eight was the nebula oh nine was the focus 2010 was the hornet 2011 was the zeppelin you know, I almost said Zeppelin because 
um, one of my friends had an Ace Race Roach mm. and always called it a Zeppelin. And I always told him he was wrong. And he's like, no, it's the Zeppelin, man. And it was a Roach. There you go. But 2012 was the zombie. You had Really? The ne- yeah. I remember that one being an Ace Race. I knew that one. Um, the next three you had, 16 was the Archer and 17 oh, was, the, I knew the Archer. was the Sting. Which I think is funny that 16 and 17, like Archer and Sting are pretty similar. Like the same disc, yeah. Yeah. I feel like they're both Stratuses. Pretty much. I could be wrong, but that's what it feels like. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I, I knew the Archer too. I can't believe I didn't say that. I knew that. I didn't know the Sting. But yeah, wow, that's uh, some interesting stuff you can I, find in there. Yeah, I was most fascinated with just some of the names. Like the Slipstream, like where can I get that? Like I was really like trying to look around like, I want to get some of these discs in premium plastic and like bag them and just be sick. And they're well, so what expensive. Throw, what are you there, Trevor? That was oh, my slipstream. That was my slipstream. Yeah, was my, the Phantom was the one I, I saw and I was like, I gotta have that. But I it's, feel like it's so old. It looks like a plastic plate. Well, I feel like Phantom. I could be wrong, but I feel like uh, the plastic addicts brought it back. It was like a different disc. I have no idea. Plastic Addicts has like their own line of discs. Phantom was one of the oldest ones. And they're like old disc craft molds that they like either bought or just use. And so like they have like the intervention. They have, I don't know. I feel like one of them used to be the Phantom. All right. We're going to quickly kind of talk through this um, because this year's off season has the potential to be crazy. It's set up to be wild. It also has the potential to be boring. Nothing happened, but everybody gets re-signed. Yeah, but we're gonna we're gonna speculate because we don't know really anything about these players. Re-signing can be interesting. Yeah, seeing what the contracts look like if they release it. But years they get. That's one thing about disc golf is you're lucky if you get how many years they sign for. I know. That's about it. I want to see. Like every other sport, you know exactly what's going down. Yeah, and I think it's because all the manufacturers. I mean, the players, to some degree, have to know what kind of money people can get because they're all buddies with each other. Yeah. But, like, it seems like the manufacturers are, like, hiding it from each other. Maybe. Because, like, some of them, I think, are worried that they're they're going to lose players. It's like, yeah, it's weird. Hopefully that's something that comes up soon. Yeah. Uh, where that's a public... Maybe this year when some of these big players are getting yeah, resigned. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of opportunities. So the first one, and probably the biggest on this list currently, is Chris Dickerson. He signed a two-year deal with Prodigy back in 2018 that yeah. according to Ulti World, which this is all based on Ulti World sponsorship tracker. Uh, they yeah. do that each year. Um, he signed a two-year deal that runs up in 2020. Now, sometimes these players will sign extensions within their contract that makes it last longer. Like Eric Oakley, I think, is originally was supposed to run up this year, but he signed an extension, something like that. So there's a chance that Chris is locked down longer. But regardless... His time with Prodigy is coming to an end here I hope, soon. I hope he didn't extend before he won U.S. because he's obviously worth more. Yeah. So, Chris is not going anywhere. It doesn't seem like it. No. He seems Chris to like Prodigy. very happy with Prodigy, and he, like, just created the FX2. Yeah. Like, the FX2, he, like, helped design. I don't think... I think Prodigy is treating him well. Yeah. They're about to hopefully treat him a lot better. Um and I honestly, I can't see Chris going anywhere. Chris is worth pretty solid guaranteed money. Yeah, so hopefully, the only thing I could see is if Prodigy, for some reason, just offered him a criminal amount less than someone else. But Prodigy, yeah, it's interesting. Prodigy couldn't afford to lose Chris, I don't think. Yeah. Prodigy. And I, I think the same goes for Kevin. Kevin's not on this list, but I don't think Prodigy could afford to lose Chris or Kevin. Prodigy's an anomaly to me, because like, not many people throw Prodigy anymore. And it... Yes and no. It's very regional. Yeah. Around like Tennessee and Atlanta, it is a big thing. Yeah. The same thing with MVP. MVP is very regional too. That's true. I guess they have their audience. Yeah. I don't know. And I feel like, I feel like Chris and Kevin could make it back to that mainstream thing because they're they're gonna keep winning. It's true. I mean, those Prodigy has to lock those guys down. That's what I'm saying. I don't think they could Especially afford to lose Kevin. them. Yeah. Um, the next one on this list is interesting but I, I probably not that interesting we have eagle mcmahon he's on a two-year deal with Discmania that runs up in 2020 um obviously within those last two years he is now worth a lot more money than he was eagle previously is like top three most valuable players maybe top two most valuable players okay as i i'm gonna change up the rules here because as i look down this list the majority of these players are like synonymous with the brand they represent to where I don't think they're leaving. So instead, we're going to go back to Chris. Well, I don't I think that's to, really an argument, though. Like, Paul was synonymous with Innova, and he left. Well, yeah, but, like, valid. <laughs> but what, I, what I'm saying is, like, when we talk through these players, like, 
we're well, not going to sit here and be like, oh, I man, could, I could really see. I could see other stuff. Dickerson's only probably the only one on that list I couldn't see. Leaving. Well, I want to see. What I want to do is I want to speculate. So I speculate. So <laughs> let's go back to Dickerson, right? Yeah. Let's say he leaves. If Dickerson leaves, where is he going? If Dickerson leaves, he would go. I want to say trilogy. No, I think dynamic. I think he would go. go I think he's a good fit for dynamic because I think he's in their price range. I think he's and he's a really good player. I think they could get good value for Dickerson. You know, I, I feel like. If Dickerson, left, I don't know if he would want to throw dynamic. I don't know either. He's a good fit for them, though. I think. I think he could go Discraft, because the thing that Discraft's done is they've locked up Paul and Page currently, um, to where they have like you know the the dominant players of this current generation, um, to where it's going to be hard for Discraft to sign another dominant player, such as a like someone dominant marketing wise. Yeah. Whereas you could sign like they could sign. I could see like a a Calvin, a Chris, even like a Kevin. You know yeah. where where they're great players, but they don't have the like marketing side. Well, that's that's where the question is asked of like, do I want to sign a player as a manufacturer because putting his name on a disc will move discs, or do I sign a player because he's good? So when people see him win, they'll buy my disc. Because like a p- player who's more marketable. Let's say a Simon Lazat for example, or even, yeah, no, Simon's a pretty good example. Simon is a guy who, though he's good enough to win, isn't a huge winner on tour, but because his name, he's very marketable, you put his name on a disc, it can move that disc. There are other players, like Chris Dickerson, not incredibly marketable, not the worst, but not incredibly marketable, but he's probably more likely to move discs by just winning. Well, that's what I'm saying. You don't and want... And so people see that he's throwing Discraft. I feel like someone on... So it's like... Like, you, you wouldn't want a big marketing personality. I don't think there's room for that on Discraft. Because there's already... I mean, there's always room. You look at Team TaylorMade. They've got all of them. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I think there's always I don't room. Know. You just so you make, go, you you go collab dynamic, with them. I go Discraft. Now, for Eagle, if he left Discmania, which the Crush Boys, like... He's not going to leave. That's synonymous. Eagle without a PD two in his hand makes no sense. But let's say something wild happened. And he, he would leaves. he would throw. I want to say he would throw latitude. Frick! I didn't think. I was thinking like just trilogy. When I think of latitude and West Side, I just think of dynamic. Because when I think dynamic, I just don't think of super overstable stuff. And when I think of Eagle, I think of overstable stuff. The latitude's got stuff. The latitude does, because I mean, I mean, we see Nico, which he's with West Side, but like ripping some crazy annies that flex out of it. I could see trilogy. I just couldn't see Eagle with trilogy. I couldn't. Latitude. I can't see Eagle with anyone. I can only see like Discmania, and then he's always been there. If he left, I could see him with Innova. Like, <laughs> like. Nah, I. I just can't see it. I can see it with latitude. Latitude. Do they even have a big player right now? Emerson. Emerson. Does Dynamic have a big player right now? Mm-mm. Who's their biggest player? Oakley. Yeah, it's got to be Oakley, Risley, Melton. They don't have like a so top. He could end up a Dynamic too, but I see him more with Latitude. They don't honest. have. I feel well, like Latitude. But if got he money. went, if he went Dynamic, he'd be throwing Latitude and stuff like that. Some, yeah. I don't know. That'd be Eagle uh, putting with a well. He put with a judge. No, he, he doesn't like Warden. It's too flippy. Maybe he get his own putter. Dagger. <laughs> Definitely not. It's no. a weird putter. I don't know. I don't know. Him throwing those sinuses all over the That's place. That's what I'm saying. It's like I feel throwing like harps. I feel like it's way too hard to imagine Eagle outside of Discmania. But the next one we got here, Mr. James Conrad. I could see that. I could see honestly I, see him I could see him either. going to Prodigy. No. Uh, no. Oh he I would, mean with how dirty of a putter thrower he is. That's what I'm saying. He could probably do real well with Prodigy. I don't he think he's throw, leaving. He could throw PA fours. A I feel like mile. he's one of those players. He's that pretty content with Innova. He's like, yeah, Innova is in his blood. He's got like, a disc with him. Yeah, I don't think he's leaving Innova, but I could see. I think Prodigy would be a good choice because of because their putters are some of the best on the market, pretty much. Like that's what they've got going for them. Their now, mids are good too. Their mids well, are too. It's just once you get to drivers, it gets a little questionable. And you know that could hurt James's game a little bit because he throws hard and he, but he doesn't really throw that overstable stuff. I feel yeah, like he throws wraiths. Yeah, so maybe and destroyers. I could see. Okay, 
James Comrade with Prodigy. Um, the next one, I don't even think we can speculate. Greg Barsby. That guy's not going anywhere. No. I mean, his bag is like... Yeah, his bag is literally... If you guys haven't watched Greg Barsby's latest in the bag or one of them, it's literally like every disc in there is worth like $200. Yeah. It's ridiculous. He... I don't... I don't now, see it. Now, this next player on the list, I could see going somewhere. Now, that is Henna Blomroos. I don't know if I said her name right. It might be Bloomers. European. She went from Prodiscus to Innova. Innova only signed her to a one-year deal. Um, she is one of the top FPO players in the world, but but she hasn't been around this season because of COVID. So she's still in Europe with Evelina Salonen and Kristen Tatar, and they're all battling it out week in and week out with no coverage. Yeah. Pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um. But, I mean, she's filthy. She's, like, mid-950s rated. Yeah, maybe Discraft will I was going to say, if, I'm, if, I'm going Discraft. If Innova I think, undervalues her, I, I think that she will shop the market a little bit. And if I'm... If I'm... A, it, not even just Discraft. If I'm any other company, I'm trying to pick her up. Because yeah. the only questionable thing with her is, will 2021 allow her into the States? Right. Um, that's the only question mark that surrounds I her. Really, but other than that, if it does, you know she's going to be in the top... Yeah. Pushing every time. I wonder what, like, how many players have the correct free agency sense? Because, like, when you're a free agent, you know, during that period, you have no loyalty to anybody. Like, you shouldn't, you should always take offers. Like, I wonder if there's players who just, like, look to their company for an offer first. And if they offer them anything, they just take it when you really should shop everywhere. And then you should bring those offers back to your company. And if they value enough, they'll match it or bump it like yeah. I, I hope the disc offers and i think it's happening more these days you know i hope disc offers are shopping are shopping bit. the market because you should get as much as you're worth you yeah. know you should you should look everywhere because at the end of the day like you know we've seen win world champions come from a lot of different manufacturers so like, yeah it's throw, the arch not the arrows right so no. you know go what <laughs> go get your money you know secure the bag yeah uh now this final one just made herself worth a lot more money mrs king yeah Haley king, king she say. signed a one-year deal with discraft mm-hmm. um i feel like discraft's treated her well this year you know they've given her the tour series disc she's performed very well with discraft discraft will be anxious to resign her i don't see her moving long term yet Dis- i think discraft will lock her down yeah. now if she did move with her game i Innova would try and scoop her. Innova would try. Because Innova... But I feel like I feel like she could go dynamic if she if she left. You know, the, the biggest question mark with dynamic yeah, is well. they... I feel like any any of these free agents and all these free agents, dynamic should be and probably is going after hard. Because they're one of the major manufacturers that doesn't have a big, big player. Yeah. Because they lost Paige. Another dynamic. Yeah, that's what I was going to mention. Paige left dynamic. And like her and Haley are teammates right now. And like if Haley's talking about going to dynamic, Paige might give her reasons why she left dynamic. Yeah. And that could happen. That but- could be true. I, like again, this is all speculation because to me, if I'm Haley King, I, the only reason I'm not leaving, the only reason I'm leaving Discraft is if somebody offers a ton. Somebody offers me way more because, yeah. but like. I don't think that's going to happen because I think Discraft's smart enough to know like Haley King is probably one of the futures of FPO. Yeah. You know what By the I mean? time she gets to Paige's age, she's got lots of time at this yeah, point. Yeah, and like, if she's she already could, competing with be, her. Yeah, she'll be... I would one. lock her down to like a four or five year deal if I was Discraft right now. Yeah. And um, But, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. I think this is setting up to be a very interesting offseason. It, it could, could be. It also... All these players are so synonymous with their brand that like... It's probably just going to be Chris Dickerson just signed a four-year deal. Eagle McMahon just signed a five-year deal. James yeah. Cameron. But even that can be interesting. Same I, that's another thing the, that's the interesting is like how I wonder how many disc golfers are confident enough in their game to sign like, you know, if they don't think they can make a ton of money right now, just to say I'm going to sign a two-year deal and then just collect the bag in Well, we were years. talking about... Uh, or how many guys are like, if I can take a five-year deal, I'm going to take it because it's just security, you know? Even, yeah. if, even if it's not as much as I think I can be worth in a year, I just need to take the deal. Well, it's like a... We're, there's, I think, two players that are kind of opposites of this, and they aren't in disc golf. But one is like the Scotty Pippen deal in, last, in The Last Dance, where mm-hmm. he signed a long deal because it gave him security, and it locked him down to where he knew he could provide for his family. Right. And then towards the end of his deal, he was worth like 10 times 
what he what he was making. Well, he, he, he was, was worth like, he was worth that the second he signed it. He was like the <laughs> hundred when you know at, at some point during the Last Dance documentary they talk about him being like one of the he was like the second best player in the league and was like the hundred and twentieth yeah. paid. He was always underpaid. Yeah. So, you know, there's those players where you sign a Scottie Pippen deal and it's a horrible mistake. But then there's players like you were just telling me about some baseball player. Yeah, Trevor Bauer. Well, see, his isn't even. He's weird. So he signed. He only signs one year. He's a baseball pitcher. He's won a Cy Young with the Indians. He's maybe going to win another Cy Young this year with the Reds. Had a really good season. Um, and he only signs one year deals, but it's not because he's holding out for a big contract. Because if he was holding out for a big contract the year after he won the Cy Young with the Indians, he could have signed probably, you know five to ten years for a ton a ton of money yeah he literally does it because in his mind he doesn't want to cheat teams out of money and he wants to earn his pay every single year it's like a motivation thing which because he's crazy this guy's absolutely nuts see so if i am a because he could have signed for a bajillion dollars after he won a cy young if i'm on this list right i'm looking at this list and i'm eagle i'm signing a shorter term contract because if i'm eagle i'm looking at i haven't won a major yet that's coming I like if I'm Eagle, I'm confident in myself. Like mm-hmm. yeah. I'm winning a major. I soon. wouldn't sign for more than two years. If I'm Chris, I'm the opposite. I'm signing a four or five year deal. Yeah. I just won a major. He's a bit older. Yeah, a little bit. Not really that much, but you know, I just proved myself. Like I made a name for myself this year. You know, I proved if there was any question that I am one of the top players in the sport. Yeah. I just won a USDGC, which there's only like 17 champions or something like that. Less than that. I don't even know where that number came from. There's probably like 10. <sighs> If. There's so few U.S. champions. Climo, Schultz, Doss, Schustrick, Paul, Sexton, Brinster. Coling, Brinster, Dickerson, Conrad. Yeah, it's 10. It might I don't be know if that's one. all of them, but it's close. Feldberg, so, 11. Feldberg. Okay. So, like, it, there's very few. Yeah. So, I'm using that as a huge negotiating chip, and I'm signing myself, uh, not a super long-term deal, but a longer-term deal. I would try and get, like, five years. If I'm Haley King... I'm signing a few year deal, like a two to three, because I'm yeah. I'm in the same boat of Eagle where, yeah, I'm I've arrived to a certain extent, but I still got some majors to get under my belt. Like yeah. I I know my and the sport better. is also going to grow in that time to That's where true. there's more to be more money. That's true. So you know, and the rest of this list, you know, if I'm Conrad Barsby, it's an interesting gamble. I'm taking what I can get. Yeah, to be honest, mm-hmm. uh, I think Conrad didn't have the best year this year. Barsby. I mean, Barsby's just one of those tour veterans that I think he's kind of established. He's established his worth. Yeah. Like his worth isn't really going either way. Mm -hmm. You know, Barsby's Barsby. Um, So yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting to kind of see what these players do this offseason. But I'm excited reading this list because there's a lot of the like high up names that their contracts are done this year. Yeah, it could be really interesting. And yeah, hopefully disc golf companies announce what they're signing players for. We haven't really seen it before. We've seen Paul's somewhat, you know. Kind of. Some with Innovite. I think we saw some with Discraft. It's always hard to know what Paul told me and what was published. Um, but yeah. we, we've seen some of his published. Um, other players, not so much. You know, we've seen kind of the year deals, but we haven't really seen how much they're making. Right. So I hope that that's a thing just from a fan's perspective. And also, I think it's a good bargaining chip. Because if I'm like... Huge. If I'm Eagle and I see Chris signs a four-year, $750,000 deal or three-year, $750,000 deal or whatever, and I'm eagle, I'm going, well, I'm worth that at least. You know what I mean? So then if, yeah. if Discmania is offering me three-year, $500,000, i am going, well, no, look, like this guy that I'm consistently beating or competing with is making this much. I also have this marketability. Like mm-hmm. it's a good bargaining chip. Um, that I, that's where I, I hope companies kind of do that. It's also a good accountability thing to make sure right. companies aren't, screwing players since like yeah i think that's all the right biggest chris thing. you're worth fifty thousand a year yeah, it needs to be out in the open yeah yeah um so hopefully that's a thing but we're gonna wrap this show up with a segment called make that call uh so we got a, a little bit of an interesting question for you here all right okay um so i'm gonna just explain this there's i have this uphill lie on a short putt i'm inside the circle i decide i'm gonna place my back foot behind my lie behind my mini and I put my front foot on the ground ahead of the lie to give me some leverage, right? Mm, I know where this is going. As I go to putt, I push off that front foot, throw the disc, and then distribute balance behind my disc. Is that legal? Mm-hmm. Are you calling that? It's legal, I think. Well, let me think. 
So it's in the air. You're saying as you putt. So when the disc get leaves your hands, your foot is in the air. Mm-hmm. And then you bring it behind you and you keep your balance. First of all, pointless. It's uphill. So far uphill. That gave me a little better leverage to. No, pointless. Got me three feet closer to the basket. Uh, no, because your center of gravity would have still had to been over your foot that was behind your mini. I don't know. I did it. Okay. Yeah. It's still interesting. I banged the putt. I remember. I feel like I remember Paul or somebody showing me how to do that and saying, oh, I think they were doing it in a way that would like get you in or out of the circle or something. How was that? That doesn't make sense. I for- No, there was something. They were doing something like that. That's right. I can't remember if I'm mixing it up. So you, I'm trying to think of like the rules. Like is like so basically the the question is is your foot considered in play or like is it counted towards being ahead of your life if it's not on the ground that's the question because if you establish like the second part of that you establish your balance in a normal spot you know that's all f- fine and dandy like in my mind no you shouldn't be able to do that but i'm thinking the pdga is like it doesn't count unless it's on the ground I think if I can think of any other situation where that would even come into play. I've got another one I'll explain. Because you can have, okay, because you can have your back, you can have a foot off the tee pad and as long as it's in the air, but that's different because that's not inside the circle. But that almost like translates to like if your foot's off the ground, it's not in play. So I'm going to say it's legal. Yeah, you're correct. Okay. So it's allowed. So the stance is legal because when you release the disc, you did not go past your lie after releasing. So when you release your disc, all supporting parts are behind the di- behind your lie. All supporting parts. That's the that's the wording. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, one big moment that I've seen something similar happen was at USDGC hole 15. Ricky, um, I forget what year it was. I was watching in person. Ricky threw his shot and he either went OB left. There was OB left past the Mando. And he either went OB left or his disc was right on the OB. And so the line he wanted to hit was to the left of the OB line. So he put his left foot in the OB line and his right foot behind his disc so he could get to that line. And then when he went to throw a forehand, he lifted his left foot through the forehand and put it back down like that. Like he literally was just like, mm-hmm. and it was legal. Yeah. Even though it like gave him the advantage of being over the OB line, it was legal because when the disc left his hand, all supporting parts were behind his lie crazy stuff there it's creative yeah um, i just thought that was an interesting one you know and yeah it is interesting i didn't know if you'd get it because i if i saw that in person i'm calling the guy on a foot fault but i'd be wrong i'd probably just be like more amazed that he kept his balance to be honest i'd be like <laughs> dude are you like a ballerina in your spare time because <laughs> i'd like to try that are you big baby davis right now <laughs> yeah i don't think that's possible all right well that's gonna wrap it up for our show thank you guys so much for listening this week uh, make sure you check the, all the links in our description either on you know if you're on spotify or if you're on youtube check all the links down there to our discord instagram facebook all that good stuff um and let us know in the comments kind of what you thought and if you have any topics you'd like to discuss to discuss this off season you know if these free agents don't start moving our topic well is going to run dry we're going to hopefully get a few more interviews in that's not exactly the format we want to go with simply because I feel like most disc golf podcast interview players and interview people. So um, other than the questions we asked, you, you, it wouldn't really be much different of a show. So we're going to try to keep it in kind of opinions based, but we want some good topics that we can debate. We want stuff that Trevor and I won't agree on and we can debate back and forth, just general disc golf topics. We have a few on the docket. We'll get a few interviews in with a few different people, I think, trying to get some opinions on stuff that we've debated, especially like with the pro tour and some media stuff. Yeah. I think it'd be interesting to hear from people more inside of that, um, kind of their opinion. So all that should be coming up, but, uh, let us know in the comments down below if you have any other topics or anything like that you'd like us to cover. And other than that, we will talk to you guys next week.